Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guess. Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode number 74. You're with myself, Paul Spain. Nate Dunn. And Sim Ahmed. Welcome along, Sim. Great to have you here. Uh, first time on the show. Yeah, great to be here. I love this awesome office you're in. Thank Pretty you. Good. Yeah. Uh, now, tell us a little bit about what you do. You're a reporter for uh, for Computer World, right? Yeah, I write for Computer World and uh, CIO Magazine, uh, so mostly enterprise IT and stuff, but sometimes I have things that go into PC World or reseller news and things, so a lot of variety. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us uh, as we, we dive into a few topics tonight. Now, probably the top of the list today, really the, the freshest uh, news off the wire, really, is, uh, has been around Apple. And uh, a whole bunch of announcements from their um, worldwide developers conference uh, in uh, in San Fran today. Yeah, um, so we've got quite a few things, especially around uh, the next OS for uh, iPhone and iPad, and also on Mac. So uh, uh, Mountain Lion will be released in July. There's no real date yet, but there are a lot of interesting uh, updates to that, like uh, the integration of Facebook and uh, iCloud, and also all the features that you see in iOS being brought into the Mac you know, framework. Yeah, I think um, I'll be playing around with uh, Mountain Lion for um, uh, you know, two or three months uh, with the developer versions. And uh, yeah, it looks, looks like a really good update. And it, yeah, it's interesting just the extra announcements that they've, uh, that they've made today there, as you mentioned, around, uh, around Facebook and so on. Um, which is interesting because you know it was uh, last year with iOS five where Apple brought in uh, the Twitter support, and that was you know I guess Apple starting to get into uh, bringing that integrated social networking capability into iOS. But it was really odd that they started with Twitter and didn't have anything happening with Facebook. But they've now kind of uh, filled that gap, um, you know, across their uh, across their product range, right? Or they will will do once uh, once the new products launch. I don't use any Apple products, so I'm pretty much a noob when it comes to the whole technology. Um, is it reasonably easy to upgrade from, say, iOS 5 to iOS 6? Is it just a, a download and install and away you go, or like, how do you actually... Well, I think there's a little bit of a... There's a... Um, how do you put it? The, I guess, in theory, yes, the updates are, are easy, um, but... I think results may vary is probably a, a fair sort of um, you know note to put next to to that around iOS upgrades. What are your thoughts on that? So? Um, with iOS, so that's uh, iPhones and iPads. I, I, when I moved up to five, there were a lot of issues around the tweets and uh, it wouldn't send links properly. And I guess you'd always have to kind of wait until iOS six point zero one, you know, until you, you get something stable. I'm more interested in the Mac Mountain Lion. Uh, update and because you have to be on uh, I, um, Mac OS 10 Lion and have the Mac App Store in order to go onto Mountain Lion, and then you have to buy it for twenty dollars. And I'm just kind of interested to see what happens there, and whether we'll see the similar problems we saw with people going into Lion, all the bugs and the patches that came after that. Yeah, well, you know what 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 we've been seeing over the last um, you know last last few years really, uh, because Apple are so r- regular with their operating system updates, both on the uh, iPads and, and iPhones and on the um, you know iMacs and, and uh, MacBook Pros is that there's there's probably more of more pain points than what we see uh, with for instance say Windows upgrades which swing around every three years you know they test them with so many millions of users we just seem to get 
you know, get a few of those pain points. As you say, sometimes it's worth waiting for the sort of 0.01 update so they've ironed things out. And, you know, we just seem to get regular stories of people that tried to do the upgrades or, you know, um, yeah, they've gone through the automated update process and everything's turned to custard in one way or another. So, yeah, it is worth being cautious, but each of these updates usually brings some really cool features and, uh, um, you know, pretty quickly... You know, most people are running on those updates, and and in fact, I think that was one of the points that um, uh, Tim Cook point, pointed out uh, was that you know it's interesting that the you know the very large majority of uh, Apple users using their mobile devices are running iOS five, whereas Android uh, now they've had their new version out for a similar time with the, the version four and ice cream sandwich. And their their published stats are seven percent of users, which uh, you know I, I guess is something that's been you know, talked about a lot in terms of how difficult it is to um, you know to bring all devices up to the current uh, current version of Android. Yeah. I think this. Up, uh, I was reading a blog post, and I'm just trying to find the, res- the resource at the moment, but it was showing that mobile data. I think just recently, on the last quarter, this is the first time that mobile data and desktop data have you know come together and they're bang on. So as you see, um, mobile data is, is going up and, and desktop data is going down. So you know all these updates are really taking advantage of the fact that we're doing a lot more on our mobiles. Um, for example, you know a couple of podcasts back we talked about the new ASB app, and I'm actually finding that I don't log into ASB um, banking anymore because I can do everything I really need from my phone, and it's so much quicker. So it'd be, it'd be interesting seeing not only with the Apple um, sort of ecosystem, but also Android to see with people using their phones more and more and, and smartphones becoming more prevalent, how these are going to have an effect on, say, the, these platforms in a year, you know, three years, five years. I, I think we can kind of see some of that r- right now with um, Apple integrating the Facebook things. It, it's kind of interesting that they're also bringing, uh, doing their own map program with the 3D flyover maps with uh, on iOS. So they're taking these apps that we're using, third-party apps, and they're integrating it into their own system and they're probably going to have a better use and time of it because it's all integrated. But at the same time, I'm kind of feeling for these developers who are building these apps that are kind of being pushed aside because Apple are... Edged out. Yeah, edged out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that's been a story for a long time with operating systems as... You know, the operating systems tend to get more and more uh, more and more powerful. Even back in the DOS days, uh, with the later versions of DOS, they included a disk compression capability... And, you know, in fact, there are a whole lot of lawsuits around it, as I, as I recall. Um, and, you know, that was stepping on the toes of, uh, I think it was uh, Stack Electronics that did this disc doubling sort of uh, technology for, uh, you know, for DOS. And there were, there were other ones out in the market as well. And suddenly, oh, this product's of, you know, little relevance because it's built into the operating system. And, yeah, we've seen the same, I guess, on desktop operating systems for a long time, you know, in terms of Mac and Windows as well. So, um, Continuing yeah. that thought, you're saying, um, because you know, this morning TomTom announced, so you can already get there's a TomTom app for um, the iPhone. So TomTom's announced that they're partnering closely with Apple to, to actually provide the native mapping on um, iOS 6. You know, these developers, you know, I'm thinking about something like Navman. You know, you really have to look at partnering and in it being innovative because, you know, the, the marketplace for a Navman, why would you buy one when you've got a phone that can do it? You, you know, yeah. TomTom's got it down perfectly. Rather than, than sort of sitting there and just waiting for their market share to diminish, 
they're actually going through and saying, hey, you know, we've got really, really we make really, really good maps. You guys make a really, really good phone. There's a, a perfect um, synergy for us to partner. So I, I think that's where um, developers, not just mobile developers, but developers in general, when they're going for the mobile um, space, really need to look closely at what they're doing and partner with, rather than saying that you know the, the actual manufacturer is a threat. Well, that's an interesting one, and and goes broader too, doesn't it, across a whole range of businesses? Because you know any business today that isn't you know sharp and and really looking ahead into the future might find itself as sort of uh, you know replaced in a few years' time. You know whether it's uh, um, I don't know cafes and in, in, in certain cultures where the Starbucks come along and uh, and roll into town and sort of uh, you know replace those concepts if the if the local cafes don't do something unique enough um, or you know we look at Kodak who had built their whole business around producing film you know that's gone and as you, and as you say yeah, yeah the same things happening here uh, or you know similar type of thing where um, the the requirement for standalone GPSs and and GPS apps. Um, it just goes by the wayside, and we're already seeing that, I guess, on other platforms other than iOS, where you're getting really, really good, uh, or you know, had really, really good um, mobile mapping capabilities and navigations. So. I suppose the thing that triggered n- my thoughts about mapping, and it's not just that announcement this morning between TomTom Tom and Apple, is the fact I found my Navman the other day because I needed to. I was looking through something else and saw it then. And, you know, the thinking of the comparison between features with Google Maps on my Android is I can actually type in a name of a place and say, direct me there. Whereas with the Navman, I've actually got to know the address. And it seems like such a small little change, but it's massive in the fact that I don't have to remember where things are. I can just say, hey, Google, take me to, you know, say Starbucks Queen Street, and it will direct me straight there. Whereas Navman, I've got to know it's, you know, 100 Queen Street, whatever the address is. Um, so yeah, I I think um, going back to my original point with um, yeah these partnerships and stuff, I, I think it's exciting what TomTom's announced this morning, and it should be interesting to see how they integrate it with uh, iOS six. Um, and that's probably as far as I can say because I don't know a lot about Apple. So <laughs> well, it's good it's good that we're seeing uh, we're you know we're seeing great innovation still in this navigation uh, space, and so we had Google with their announcement as well in the last week. I don't think we really chatted about that, but. You know they've uh, they're bringing out their sort of uh, 3D uh, flyover uh, views, which they announced. Uh, I think that was late last week, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, yep. and then you know now we've seen similar announcements from Apple, and you know Apple, of course, announcing their move. You know, which has been public for a little while, uh, their move away from uh, relying on Google for their uh, their mapping and navigation. Um, now the other bits that were announced today, I think there was uh, there was a roundup of uh, new MacBook Pros and Apple of uh, dumping the 17-inch screen one, which they've had 17-inch uh, models now, I think for about 10 years. Um, so they've had a big screen laptop. In fact, I think they were one of the first, if not the first, to bring a 17-inch laptop onto the market. Do Do you think that could be something to do with the new Retina displays and maybe the cost of trying to also have a parity with the 15 and the 13-inch with the Retina? of a 17-inch display, do you think? Possibly. I think part of it, the stats I saw, was that less than 1% of buyers were buying a 17-inch model anyway. And I think, you know, Apple uh, are very good at not having too many products in a particular range. And, you know, we look at other vendors and sometimes they've just got, you know, they've got so many different, you know, well, let's pick one of the bigger brands, HP. You know, they've got a lot of different laptop models. And if you compare that with Apple, Apple have got uh you know 
probably at any given time maybe six you know different machines you can order yeah there might be some variations around disc and so on if you do a custom build but uh, very few machines overall um, in fact probably you know less less than that three or four so apple are trying to keep it keep it simple and um, and not you know uh, deliver obscure products there's only going to be a small small uh, percentage of people buying so with the the wider screen and um I had a much bigger laptop than I've got now and it just you know it's supposed to be a laptop it's not supposed to be a desktop that's got a screen attached um whenever anyone says to me is it um a little bit biased in the fact I've got a dock at work so I don't tend to work off my laptop all the time so the screen size just doesn't make much of a difference but my suggestion is that a bigger screen isn't always better because you've got not only the it's a lot bigger it's a lot more unwieldy but you've also got a, a weight so if you're you know busting all the all over the place you're doing a lot of walking those extra few inches do add up to you know a few yeah. more grams and that yeah. does start to be quite heavy when you're walking around for half an hour so if you are looking at laptop my suggestion would be uh, actually if you don't need the bigger screen go for something a bit smaller yeah well i've been a i've been quite a big fan of the the ultra portable sort of 12 inch screen type laptops for a long time uh, because when you're traveling they're they're just ideal there's not too much sort of weight to carry around uh, and yeah when you're at your desk if you've got a dock that that works well but yeah you do need ideally need a dock and uh, yeah interesting you should raise docks before Nate because uh, last week there were some announcements um, at Computex around uh, docks that um, uh, for the Mac and we're now we've now got a, a couple of products on the market that uh, um, bring uh, docking to uh, to the MacBook Pro platform. Is there no so so Apple don't provide any of those, and that's oh, always really? been you know there's been a, I guess a couple of um, you know frustrations for me working within um, uh, you know helping businesses with leveraging technology. One of the uh, one of the you know common things is people want the Mac because it it, it looks great and so on. Um, but then from a functionality point of view, we've always missed having a, a dock, which is usually a real requirement in a business situation. And they also haven't had a, a built-in 3G capability. Um, uh, and the other thing was the the, um, the warranty support in New Zealand was really poor, although that seems to have really um, sharpened up uh, recently. Um, so they're they're um yeah they're heading in the right direction with those things to uh, to pick up the business customers as well which is quite interesting to see uh, the docks aren't really probably what we're quite used to from a, uh for those who use a you know a, a docking station for their pc where you can just clip your laptop in and the power connects and the screen connects and keyboard mouse network everything connects um they connect to the thunderbolt port uh, so it does mean you still need to have a separate power supply that you connect and then plug something into the Thunderbolt port. Um, what I'd love to see would be someone that you know realizes that the MacBook designs don't change too often and actually develop some sort of a dock where you could you know sideways sort of slide your 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 MacBook into it. I'd definitely get one of those for my MacBook if there was a nice easy way to uh, dock that in that was designed specifically for the machine and it wasn't still a matter of sort of joining cables up, which is what these new docks uh, require. Yeah. Uh, so that's pro- that's probably a uh, oh, and the other bit was um, the new MacBook Pro, which uh, has the Retina display. That was probably the really uh, big one that it, I guess have been rumored for uh, for a good 
a few weeks, if not months, that that was uh, that was coming. Um, Sim, you've had a, a little bit of a look at um, the yeah. info that's come down a- around that one? Yeah, so um, this is going to be for both the 13 and the 15-inch models of the MacBook Pro. The current, But they're not going to be getting rid of the uh, non-retina versions. They'll have uh, versions for both. Um, the new versions, however, are almost at $4,000 in uh, New Zealand. So it's a very expensive step up. It's quite a price step at the it, moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and... Um, but the price for the normal versions will remain uh, the same as the generations that are available right now. And I'm running the currently avail- uh, the currently most modern uh, MacBook Pro 13s, and uh, it's a good product. And um, I-, I don't see too much change in the new MacBook Pros, except for the uh, that it will be standard to have uh, flash drives for all of the devices, and also there'll be two Thunderbolt cable uh, ports. And no more Ethernet. U- USB thing. three, right? Yeah, USB three and two support on all the uh, ports, but no Ethernet uh, ports anymore. You'll have to buy the Apple uh, dongles, which come with the MacBook Airs, which is quite annoying for me because yeah, I have no Wi-Fi think, connection. What do you think about that? Um, I think they're trying to force that play into the market and trying to make that a norm, like they've tried with the MacBook Air. And I've used the MacBook Air Ethernet dongle. It's it's annoying to use, and uh, like I was just trying to say before, um, I have no Wi-Fi connection in my room. I live in a co- concrete bunker, basically. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've had to use the Ethernet cable on my MacBook, and it, it's kind of making it a no-go for me. Okay. Step up, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's an that's an interesting one to to see, and I yeah, I guess we are getting used to having Wi-Fi everywhere, but uh, there are still you know for performance reasons and and uh, and coverage reasons plenty of reasons to plug in and uh, I mean usually I would plug in just to hear that maximum performance too what about you Nate? Um, yes I would tend to plug in especially um, I've done a few home installs for people where you know the typical thanks telecom the broadband comes on one side of the house and the actual home computers on the other side so it's a mixture of either wireless and then you try to get through a whole lot of concrete walls which is pretty much impossible had pretty good um experience using home plug which is when you run um your network connectivity over over power although it's you know and i'm not a massive power person but it's got to be on the same phase i believe and then i've also had issues where if there's like a kitchen in the middle it can tend to throw it out but you you really can't beat having a network cable you know proper proper genuine uh connection from one point to another right it just works you plug it in you don't have to worry about the wireless dropping or someone you know know, someone's not gonna be sitting there trying to hack into your ethernet cable unless they're an uber geek it just in my mind it just works um but in a a scenario you know where we're sitting around with um our laptops and and ipads and stuff you know wireless is much better because we're not having to have all these cables everywhere so you know, each one serves its purpose, so you just got to know what its limitations are and and go with that. So yeah, now interesting. You should mention the um, the uh, power plug uh, technology. Yeah, um, that's. I mean, that is something that has improved quite a bit over the last few generations. Um, and it, you know, for for listeners out there who are trying to work out how to connect up their home and don't want to rerun um, cables, it is worth uh, giving that a go. I guess the frustration is if you go out and buy the equipment and you plug it in and it doesn't work, you've uh, um, you could be stuck with it. So you need to look for a retailer that will let you take it back. Uh, and I've been through that myself, where I've tried, I've bought the gear, plugged it in. Oh, actually, this doesn't doesn't work. And so then you need to go and run, uh, you know, run proper cables around your house. Um, but it's yeah, it can be quite useful for just getting from you know one part of your house to another. 
Yeah, if you're trying to set it up, like whenever I've used them, I've always put both onto one power board and then tried to sync it rather than plugging one on one side of the house and running to the other and then coming back because it doesn't work. So you plug it into a power board, get them synced, get them talking to each other. Um, the other thing is they don't work very well through power boards. Let's say if you've got a power board on one side and a power board on the other, they need to be plugged directly Straight into, into a the socket, wall. which yes. can also be a bit tricky because they may not have enough. manufacturers don't make little plugs and you can never fit two big plugs next to each other. And these home plugs are normally big behemoth things. Um, so yeah, it becomes also a physical challenge as well. That's trying to each get them to sync. So you just got to be patient and persevere, I think. Yep. Uh, now in, uh, in local news, um, some you you'd been writing in uh, in computer world uh, this week about um, scholarships for uh, for New Zealand game developers. Can you uh, can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, can yeah, you tell sure. Us a little bit about um, it? It's a partnership between Sheet Interactive, uh, Pickpock, which is a uh, mobile game publisher in New Zealand, and also a Media Design School in Auckland, and it's for their two new game developer courses, which um will be the first uh, semester will be from uh, August this year and uh, uh, $2,300 have been provided for two students to uh, go towards these courses and it's a really cool step up for from going from a diploma to a bachelor's of game development and um, I think it's great yeah it's a great step towards um, software exporting from New Zealand. Well, there's already. I mean, there's already quite a um, you know quite a, a, a strong um, you know base of game developers here here in New Zealand. Um, you know, including those you've mentioned, and and um, of course, Small Worlds, and uh, you know, we've had Mitch from Small Worlds here on, on the show a number of times. Um, but yeah, th- there just seems to be a lot of uh, you know good game development coming yeah. out of New Zealand, and it's a huge opportunity for New Zealand to grow. That it's a great way to. Uh, export our creativeness and our uh, technology expertise you know onto a global market yeah Stephen Knightley who's the chair of the New Zealand Game Developers Association he thinks there's about 25 to 35 uh, game development studios of uh, size in New Zealand and um, at a recently held uh, conference for game developers there were about 300 people who attended and it was really actually heartening to see that um it wasn't just uh, the standard, stock standard game developer geek that was there. There were a lot of uh, younger people, older people, and also a lot of women there as well looking to find a career in this uh, space. It's, so it's a, a very well-developing uh, well area. Yeah, that's great. Oh, that's, that's really good to see. Um, now, also just of, um, of, of local uh, interest, uh, those who are interested in just keeping up to date with what's happening with... Um, ultra-fast broadband, the, the fibre uh, rollout and so on that's happening around New Zealand. Um, Orcon have been working on putting together some um, some little breakfasts, I think, in Auckland and Wellington, if I remember uh, correctly. Um, and they've, um, they've broken that up. So uh, this week there's uh, one that's targeted around... Um, ultra-fast broadband in the home then they're doing a session on ultra-fast broadband for businesses and another one for schools so uh have a look up on the uh the orcon website if you're uh, if you're interested in uh in going to those sessions and just finding out a little bit more about uh what's happening and of course orcon have been uh you know putting themselves at, at the forefront of of usb uh ufb by uh or ultra-fast broadband by um, by being one of the first uh, internet providers to uh, to offer ultra-fast broadband um, plans in, across the uh, the country. 
Now, an interesting uh, story that um, probably affects quite a few of us has been um, password leaks for uh, for LinkedIn and uh, and also eHarmony.com over the last week. Um, now, I, Nate, um, tell us about your uh, your experience there with uh, eHarmony. Oh, I mean with um, <laughs> uh, li- LinkedIn. Sorry, you're... you're uh, um, you won't be on eHarmony. No, I my significant other would be a, a little bit upset, I think, if I was on eHarmony. I've actually just Googled it because I actually had no idea what it is, and I know people think I'm lying, but I don't. Um, I this I can't remember the name of the site, but someone booted up a site where you could um, type in your address and see um, if your password had been compromised. And mine had. I've had a LinkedIn account for Yonks, and my password's a little rubbish, mainly because I don't really use the site um, often. And did you get a communication from LinkedIn as well? Um, no, I didn't. I noticed when I logged in, there's a big banner at the top that says, please change your password. Um, and I think from, and as a developer, people need to understand that. So what was pinched was things called um, hashed passwords. So um, without getting ridiculously technical, when you create a password, there's a sort of algorithm that runs, it creates a, a, a sort of string of gobbledygook that no one can understand. So next time you go to log in and let's say your password is, is test, Test is probably represented by a whole lot of characters. When next time you go to log in, you'll type in test. They'll use the same process to convert it into the unreadable characters. And if those characters match each other, then obviously what you've typed in, it matches your original password. Now, this one-way hash is a good way to stop, you know, if, you, if the database gets compromised, all the passwords aren't there in clear text, meaning, you know, most people tend to use the same password all over the place. One of the biggest criticism criticism that LinkedIn had was the fact that they didn't salt um, their passwords, which means that they would take my password like test, they would have another phrase like, say, cat. They would then, instead of just um, changing it into unreadable characters or word test, they would actually add our, our um, password and their hash together, so test cat, and then um, send that through the database. So that it's just, it makes it a little bit harder, a little bit more complex. Um, you know, a really good developer knows all this sort of stuff, so... I'm quite surprised that um, LinkedIn um, got that. Having said it, um, you know, they've only got hashed passwords, so it's not like, you know, they're going to be able to decode because you can't um, unencrypt hashes. They're, they're one way, so... But this, what this does is uh, let the those hackers actually narrow down the list of possible passwords that they can oh, yeah. run through. So it still helps the hackers, but um, I guess not as much as... Uh, some people are claiming. Yeah, I, I, as a as a dev, I, I sort of saw it and thought, yeah, that's really annoying and very embarrassing too. Like LinkedIn's supposed to be the the site for professionals, and they're not even um, storing their passwords in sort of industry standard way. Um, at least it wasn't credit cards, not pointing anything at PlayStation or anything. So <laughs> multiple times. I'm j- I'm just looking online, and uh, one of the sites that you can use to track down if your password was on this list is uh, lastpass.com right. yep. forward slash LinkedIn. Um, don't worry, I don't think they'll steal your uh, identity or anything like that. They're just checking if your password was on the list. So this is completely open, and they don't use your username at all in this process. Did the uh, I don't think were emails compromised. I think it was only passwords. I wasn't think it? it was just just passwords, which so th- not not necessarily yeah. the um, the the email address. So. Which I thought was really strange. But you get these all sorts of silly breaches all the time. Um, I remember reading on Twitter last week that Yahoo. I think it was the Android app, they had their private key, which is a big no-no, which means that people could sign um, SSL, which is, you know, when you go to log into your bank, you get the little padlock, that people could sign it on Yahoo because they were, you know, just being lazy and distributed with an app, which is a ridiculously big no-no. So 
you know, I suppose the argument comes back that we're all human and sometimes we do silly things when really we need to be really conscious about security because there are bad people out there that want to do bad things with, with our data. So you just got to be careful. And it's very easy for them to automate those processes. So, yeah, I mean, we, we do regularly talk about this on the podcast, but when these stories comes up, it, it is just a good reminder to have unique passwords across different sites and, you know, make those passwords long and complex and... Uh, you know the most common passwords that that come up are you know one two three four five six or password one or um, qwerty as you know just really simple things like that banana fifty four or you know just a word and a cup and one or two numbers at the end and those things are really easy to compromise and they can be done automatically without you knowing just because your uh, username for any website is probably out there in a spam list somewhere. And if they just decide, all right, we're going to try and target this block of people today, um, then you know, if you've got one of those simpler types of passwords or or a password that's used across multiple sites, then there's a good good chance at some stage you're going to get hacked. And you know, I think for those of us sort of sitting around on the podcast tonight, each of us will know numerous stories of uh, of friends and 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 uh, you know people we work with who have had a Hotmail account or. Uh, Facebook account or some other account that's been hacked in some form um, and yeah sometimes there are not very nice consequences of uh, of those happenings uh, mostly we don't hear about too many bad stories but yeah nasty stuff does happen from time to time so um, best to be very cautious if I can do a blatant um, plug of my blog I actually just blogged about this on Monday about how some sites in my mind have ridiculously complex um, password procedures and it, there's an XKCD um, comic which I, I can't say that I found it was actually another Geekzone user that found it and they were talking about like his example is um, the four words correct horse battery staple now let's say if you're doing a dictionary tact which is pretty, pretty much where you run through every dictionary word and wait till the system eventually you know you crack it you know, no one's ever going to come up with with that four combination of where that's going to take them so long. And at least it's it's stupid enough that it's easily memorable, rather than having to have a password that's got a capital, you know, a capital letter in it, a, a, at least a punctuation, a couple of numbers, and you end up just writing it down on your your screen, which is really yeah, going for long passwords is quite a good way to uh, you know to deal with those complexity issues, you know, rather than having strange characters for sure. Yeah. So as a dev, again, it's just it's about a balance between making it hard for the bad guys to get in, but also not making it too hard that your legitimate users have to jump through all these you know flaming hoops to to get into your system. Yep, that's uh, that's definitely a good point. Uh, now. Um, just trying to think what the uh, what the other sort of big highlights were, I guess, in the last week. Um, there there was uh, a chunk of discussion we had last week around uh, E3, uh, the Windows 8 release preview, and also uh, Computex. Now, um, you guys have been looking at some of these um, uh, new laptops and tablets and so on. I think we were, we were chatting earlier, Sim, about the... Uh, was it the a- Tai Chi? Yeah, the Tai Chi. Um, now, sort of a, a a little bit of a similar style name to um, uh, Lenovo's. What was their their um, uh, their one? And my mind has gone blank again. The no, it'll 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 come back to me. Um, ThinkPad, maybe? yoga, the Lenovo oh, yoga. Yeah. Um, so there's sort of you know similar-ish sort of uh, 
names there. Um, that one was announced at CES. So what are the big points about the uh, the Tai Chi? I mean, specifically geared towards uh, Windows Windows 8? It's a Windows 8 device. It's a Windows 8 uh, Ultrabook, but it has two screens, one on the front where you'd have uh, the normal laptop screen, but also on the lid on the back. And the one on the back is um, a touchscreen with a 1900 by 1080 uh, display. And uh, it, that's quite an interesting look. It's kind of like those uh, flip-top uh, Windows laptops you used to have, which had a little tablet that you could kind of turn around. That's right. You could turn the screen around, couldn't you? So what was facing you when you had your keyboard, you could flick it around and use it like a like a tablet. Yeah, but it, this does it without flicking the screen, right? And also, um, if, if what they're saying is true, you can use both displays at the same time. I, I'm not sure what you'd do with both displays on at the same time or how much it would affect your battery, but... What sort of head would you have to have to be able to see both sides of the uh, of the screen at the same time? I think you guys are getting this wrong. What you need is a mirror on one side, and you're twice as efficient. No, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, how that, mate, that's awesome. That's yeah. how it works. Or you could be playing Battleship with someone on the other side. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be The world's perfect. most expensive Battleship set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant. They've also announced a couple of um, Windows RT uh, uh, laptops. Um, if you're using Windows RT, that's uh, for... Uh, what is it? Uh, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, and uh, Texas Instrument. These are ARM chips, and um, they're not running Intel chips. So, But these are quite different to the Intel version, which will be the standard Windows 8. Well, I guess the big thing about RT is it's, it's Microsoft um, competing directly with the iPad and with the Android uh, tablets. So... Um, you know, you'll run on those ARM chips that are common on, on both of those uh, platforms. The limitation you get is you can't run all the older traditional Windows apps, right? But um, their big point of differentiation as well as the um, the Metro user experience is that uh, those RT laptops will actually include within the price uh, Microsoft Office. So, you know, people get that benefit of having the Microsoft Office apps that they're used to running. Uh, And, of course, you can hook into a keyboard and and mouse, which, um, you know, iOS, you know, especially isn't isn't, uh, really so geared up for being able to do that. You can't can't hook a mouse into your, uh, your iPad, right? So... Hey, how are you guys finding and thinking about the, the actual acceptance of tablets and stuff? How you, um, sorry, and, and answering my own question first, because I uh, was having some discussions with a, a contractor that we use down south, and they're saying, you know, I'm seeing a lot of tablets here, and another client of mine's over in Canada at a, a big conference, and, you know, everyone's got tablets regardless of what platform. But he's saying, especially in the smaller towns, like, there's still, the, the penetration's still not there. There's not a lot of people that are using them, and even, you know, people just sort of getting onto laptops now, so... What are you guys sort of saying? Are friends and family getting more familiar with the tablet and that sort of way of working? I work a lot in the enterprise area, and I see that businesses, especially small businesses, are preferring tablets over buying laptops in their next you know, procurement phase. You know, They're getting the tablets because, it, one, they can use it at home, and two, they can use it at work, and they're building that, uh, that convergence of work and home uh, the, together on these la- the tablets instead of laptops, but... That's kind of in a, in a very limited space. I'm not seeing it too much between other people, though. Yeah, it's quite. I mean, I think it depends on which what space you're in, and you know, there there's certainly uh, a segment of the market where uh, you know iPads, in particular, um, are are really uh, being quite highly adopted. 
but when you look at you know I guess broadly across well across New Zealand and, and even internationally, um, you know you realise that these are still quite expensive devices for people to add in if they have still if they you know they still have existing uh, PCs and, and laptops. And so it tends to be that our upper segment of the market with a bit more uh, money to dispose of that tend to be going for tablets. But I think over time that's going to change more. And, you know, um, you know, yeah, we see people taking on tablets t- today, but in most cases they don't entirely replace a PC or a laptop because the functionality can't do everything that the PC or the laptop does. So I think as iOS sort of matures on the Apple side, uh, and, you know, Android the same, and now with Windows 8 sort of coming out, you know, we're moving into a time where tablets can do all of the fun sort of consuming content type stuff that we're used to today with tablets, but they'll also be able to replace the, the functions of our traditional computers. And I would say that will be where, where they sort of really become mainstream, and that's probably going to take a year or two before we see that adoption pick up. I think I'm also seeing because uh, I've got the the Galaxy um, 10.1 that it, like the old days when you had the MP3 player, people would say, "Oh, is that an iPod?" And I'm finding that with my tablet, you just get it's like, "Yeah, it is an iPad." You know, Apple's got such an, their their marketing machine works so well that um, people just assume if it's a, a tablet that it's an iPad. And and I think especially if people are sort of non-technical, they don't understand all the various brands and products. Yeah. And I think we you know when uh, these Windows 8 tablets start coming out. Uh, later on in the year, uh, they you know the devices look very much like an iPad, and I, th- I think the average consumer will call a Windows 8 tablet an iPad. Microsoft might not be too happy about that, but uh, I think that's the way it's going to go initially. I think they'll be happy if anybody's got a Windows 8 tablet in their hand. To be fair, <laughs> start with that. Least. Well, very true. I mean, they they would definitely be keen to uh, to get their product out there. All right, well, I think that probably uh, probably wraps up our um, our agenda for this week. Um, so thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening in to the NZ Tech Podcast. Um, now, you can, of course, find uh, each of us online, and you can find the NZ Tech Podcast online. So uh, you can reach us at nztechpodcast.com, uh, facebook.com slash Podcast. We very much like it if you choose to like us. Uh, and we're on Twitter, of course, as well, NZ Tech Podcast. Um, now, guys, you're, uh, how do we find you online, Sim? Um, you can read my articles on computerworld.co.nz or on Twitter you can get me at, at Semantics. That's Simantics. Cool, cool. We'll look out for you. And you can find my blog is either on the front page of GeekZone or of my personal domain, natedunn.com points at it, or on Twitter, nice and short, just Nate. Excellent, excellent. All right, thanks for that, guys. And, of course, you can track me down on Twitter is at PaulSpain. Uh, and techjungle.com is my blog. All right, we will catch you all uh, next week right here on the NZ Tech Podcast. See ya.